on Arlene, but I did that last week, so I've used that one up. So we're going to be in, uh, still in chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, all the way to the end of the chapter today. We're going to look at the faithfulness of God. We've already um, have seen, back to the outline, we saw the word of the Lord has come to Jonah, and then last week, the activity of the Lord in verses 4 to 6, and so now we move on to the faithfulness of the Lord despite Jonah's unfaithfulness in verses 7 to 17. So let's pray and jump right in. Jay, would you lead us, please? Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to get together and look into your word. Father, we just realize it's an attractive name of the life and help us to look to it, to apply it, and to change us and to help us align our thinking to what you say. And we thank you for Bernie Bible Church. Thank you bless Kelly and his time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so beginning in verse 7, we read, Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where uh, do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry, dry land. Then the men came extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he, was, that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was uh, becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord. They said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not perish, I'm sorry, do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the man feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So again, we're looking at the faithfulness of the Lord despite Jonah's unfaithfulness. In Psalm 33, verse 4, we read this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Uh, this verse was really amplified to me in studying through this passage this week. Uh, you know, sometimes we can just glance over things like this, but we see it being played out here in the story of Jonah. His faithfulness. God's faithfulness in your life is not shown by Him going your way, but Him going His way. This is His faithfulness in our life, Him going His way. God is faithful to expose Jonah's sin. In verses 7 to 9, we see that God is faithful to show mankind our need for Him. His faithfulness continues to show. There's a phrase that we've probably all heard that goes like this, there are no atheists in foxholes. 
And so I decided to look that phrase up. I found some interesting things. I found on the, um, the psychologyday.com, not a website I usually go to, but uh, found it profitable for this. Uh, one man, Matthew Hudson, said this. It's often said that there are no atheists in foxholes. While this isn't technically true, new research suggests that inducing fear of death at least makes atheists a little less entrenched in their beliefs. Well, okay, but I found this in an article newspaper from Devon, England. The paper is called the Western Times. It was published in 1914. And they, they put a, um, a letter in their newspaper that had been read by a, a chaplain who was on the front lines during World War I. And this is what the letter wrote back that was to be read at one soldier's funeral. It says this, Tell the soldiers at home that they must know God before they come to the front, if they would face what lies before them. We have no atheists in the trenches. Men are not ashamed to say that. Though they never prayed before, they pray now with all their hearts. And I kind of wonder if that's not what's going on here, where these men have been brought to that brink, where they know that they are about to die. And all of a sudden, they, you know, they, they've thrown everything overboard. We saw the need for sacrifice last week. And now they come to this point, and there's just, there's no hope for them. So what do they do? We find in verse 7 that they cast lots. Now, this is a common practice, as you know. In Scripture, in Israel, we see that they cast lots throughout the Old Testament. This was something that God would have them do. It was a way for them to ask the Lord, to look to the Lord for what He had for them. The last time we see it being done is in the book of Acts, just before the Holy Spirit fills the church, fills the believer. Uh, we see them do this one last time to decide who needs to take Judas's place. But we never see it again after that. It is something that was practiced in other nations around Israel, and it was a way to, to make decisions. And in this case, it was, they, had, they didn't know what else to do. They had tried everything, so now they want to know who's at fault for this. They know that this is beyond them, and they, we see that they have become desperate to where now it's time to cast the lots. When you don't know what to do, where do you go? In Matthew eleven twenty eight, we we are reminded Jesus says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And we see in verse seven that the lot fell on Jonah. God is faithful to expose sin. In verse ten, we read, "Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this?' For the men knew." that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them his sin is made known and God is faithful in doing this. But we find throughout Scripture the same principle to be true, that God exposes sin. He does so when man does not keep his word to God. In Numbers 32, verse 23, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And again, we see when despising the word of the Lord, 
in 2 Samuel 12, 9, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure, your sin will find you out. And then Jesus says, and we looked at this when we were studying the Gospel of Luke, in the context of hypocrisy or phoniness before God, this is found out as well in Luke 12, 2, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. When I was uh, a student at His Hill, I had promised another student that I would get her to San Antonio for a hair appointment. Why she had to do it in San Antonio, I never even thought of that till now. But anyway, I promised I would take her, but a problem came up before that. I lost all my points. And uh, there's a point system at His Hill. Sometimes, some years we give points, some years we take away points. It's this same idea, just a different way of doing it that year. They gave us four points at the beginning of the semester, and if you lose all your points, then there's some kind of punishment passed out. Well, I lost all my points. And I, my punishment was a, an extra job I had to do on a Saturday morning. And I told her, okay, listen, I will get up early, and I will get the job done, and I'll get you to your appointment. Well, I got the job done, and I was on time like I was today. And I was flying down the same highway that I was flying down today. And uh, when I got to Bernie, I got pulled over. And I was, this was back when the speed limit was 55, and I was not doing 55. <laughs> I would have gotten a speeding ticket today for driving the same speed. Uh, my ticket was astronomical. And uh, I, of course, was not going to tell my mom or dad about this. I just paid the ticket and uh, kept it, just kept it quiet. I went home and I walked into the house for Christmas break, sat down in the living room and my mother looked at me and said, Kelly, did you get a speeding ticket? <laughs> I looked at her and said, how do you know? And she said, you overdrew in your bank account, and that's the only reason I could think of that you would need to spend that much money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, if we abide in the dark, in the lies, and just thinking through this, I realize that when I do this, it's only because I trust in the dark. I've put my faith in the lie. If we abide in the darkness, it's only because we trust the darkness. We trust it to protect us. We trust it to, to keep us safe. But we find that in Scripture, we can never hide because the Lord will expose us in the darkness. In Psalm 139, verse 12, we read, Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And within the context there, the psalmist is saying, there's nowhere I can go that you are not there. In 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Where do we what is the source of our living? Is it the light of God or is it the darkness of my flesh?
Now, before I go on, are there any thoughts? Okay. We're brain dead this morning. Okay, so, yes? Yeah. Yeah, and they'll address that too a little later, you know, because they're 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 not real crazy about doing that. I find interesting that he must have at some point prior to this told them, "I'm running away from the Lord." Yeah, I think he did because of verse ten. Yeah, and they're probably going, "Okay, whatever, who cares?" You know, it's another god, and they probably have their gods, and you know, they're like, "I don't know who this Yahweh whatever is," and so now they're learning. Yeah. But. Well, that's interesting because that's, that's kind of where I'm going. We see that God is faithful to show mankind our need for him. You know, despite Jonah's sin, um, God remains faithful. And we, let's see, I think I've jumped ahead of my notes. I've done something crazy. Oh, well, I'll just keep going. So despite Jonah's sin, God remains faithful to us or to use him in preaching truth to the sailors. Um, let, let me try to find where I am here. Yes, I know where I am now. Okay, so... We see God is faithful to expose sin in verse 7 and 10. The lot fell on Jonah. We talked about that. Um, and he exposes the sin. And then, I, okay, I did all of this. That's why I'm confused. Why is this messed up? It's Arlene's fault. Arlene's not here this morning, is she? No, she's not. I wouldn't bring her. Uh, and she better never hear about it, too. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to go with notes and forget this for now. So, the lot falls on Jonah in verse 7. So, God is faithful to expose Jonah's sin. Scripture is full of reminders that God exposes sin. Um, in Numbers, uh, crud. How did I do this? Well, anyway, Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. Uh, God is, he's faithful to expose sin when one does not keep. I have done this, haven't I? The word of God. Didn't I do that or was I just in my head doing this? Despising the word of God, hypocrisy. I did do this. Hey, you were listening. Okay. Oh, that's because I've got... Okay, I'm there. Okay, despite Jonah's, despite Jonah's sin, God remains faithful to use him in preaching truth to the sailors in verses 8 to 16. Um, it, 
before I go to that passage, I, 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And the context of that, of course, is our salvation. And, but salvation, you know, when we think of salvation, so often we think of heaven. But according to John 17.3, salvation is much more than heaven. It certainly includes heaven, but it's much more than that. But it's knowing God and knowing Jesus. And as we know him, our life is to be in agreement with him. As he's abiding in us and we in him, we will live in a way that is true of him. But so we find that he's faithful even when we are faithless. And then here in Philippians 1.3, Paul points out the fact that he's faithful in his word regardless of our motivation to it. The former, uh, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my, imprison my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And this, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So God is showing his faithfulness here in the unfaithfulness of Jonah. So what does it mean then? If he's unfaithful, what does it mean when he says in verse 9, I fear the Lord? Well, it's not uncommon for those who say they fear or have reverence for the Lord to disobey and flee from him. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Kelly, can I make one comment before you go? Absolutely. Everybody go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. So it's interesting that you say that God remains faithful to, to him despite Jonah's unfaithfulness. Because mm -hmm. earlier, the, one of the first times that Jonah's ever mentioned is in 2 Kings. And it's when Jeroboam II yeah. comes around, right? Mm -hmm. And right after when it mentions Jer Jonah, it's the same exact situation. Uh, and I find it very interesting and it seems to be related to the whole idea of Jonah. Okay. And it says, um, so it's picking up in 2 Kings 14, 25. He restored Israel's order. This is speaking about the second Jeroboam. And uh, according to the word that God had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath Heifer, for the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for both slaves and free people, there was no one to help Israel. The Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven, so he delivered them by the hand of Jeroboam. Mm. And I find it so interesting, because it's the same kind of theme. You know, Israel had been in this cycle of sin. Mm -hmm. You know, the kingdom of Israel had been in this cycle of sin. And it's almost like they returned to the very beginning with this Jeroboam II. And yet God still delivers them. Mm. And I, I don't know, I, I found that very interesting. No, I, I do too. And, I, and it, it, it brings us back to you know, the idea in looking at Jonah. It's, it's not so much to look at this great man and emulate. Yeah. Yeah, but it really, the book of Jonah is about the faithfulness of God. It, it's about God, not about Jonah. And he shows himself in tremendous ways, uh, which should be encouraging <laughs> because he's doing it through a stinker. And, you know... Uh, I'm a stinker, 
So I, I appreciate what he's showing. But let's, let's look at this. Uh, remember what is said in Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 5. You know, he's talking to the church of Ephesus and he lists all these wonderful things that Ephesus is involved in. But he ends it like this in verse 4. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You know, God is faithful to teach Jonah that fearing the Lord is much more than right words, but it's also, it also requires right actions. And so here in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46, we read this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. We see in our text here in Jonah in verse 9 of chapter 2, the same principle is being taught. He says from the belly of the fish, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. But don't jump ahead of this. We see that the one who is, uh, the one who is finding security in the Lord, the one who, is, uh, who fears the Lord is one who acts according to what is true, responds to him, but how so? Because when we see this right away, we go, oh, well, I'm going to do the right thing then. I'm never going to do this again. And we've already seen from, you know, from what Kevin's pointed out that this is a pattern for Jonah. Well, it's a pattern for us too. So how do we live this way? I appreciate what Paul says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. But then the next verse goes on and explains just how we receive, therefore how we should walk. Having been, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith. Just as you were instructed in overflowing with gratitude, as you have received Him, so walk in Him. As evangelicals, we have no problem, do we, explaining to the non-believer that salvation is only by faith in Christ. And then if we're not careful, we go on and display to them a life that's totally dependent on us to be like Him. It has nothing to do with how we came to Him. Therefore, it's not His life. It's our life pretending to be Him. As we have received Him, so walk in Him. In verse 9, we see the statement, Lord God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Wow, I mean, he's, he's talking straight to the situation now. Even though Jonah is not living according to truth, he does know what is true. And the Lord is graciously faithful to use this. He uses it in the sailors' lives for good. 
We see the obedience of the sailors acting on what is true in verses 10 to 14. We see the fear and sacrifice of the sailors before the Lord in verses 15 to 16. And in this, I think we see, um, we see the Lord's heart. The Lord, is, in uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, I don't have it on the screen, it says this, The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We see him acting, faithfully acting on this in the life of these sailors. But then in Isaiah 55, verse 11, we read this, So will my word, by uh, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's faithful to His Word. We see Him being faithful to His Word with the sailors, but we're seeing His faithfulness in the life of Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And despite Jonah's disobedience, we see God remains faithful. He's going to Nineveh. When I was uh, just out of Bible college, Arlene and I had moved back to Louisiana where I was serving as an associate pastor, and I developed a friendship with a, a, another youth pastor in the state. Uh, he was uh, becoming well-known in the state, and he was, a matter of fact, I had met him years earlier when I think we were both in high school. He was already traveling around preaching, and he was well-known and very well-liked. Uh, he had quite a following. Uh, he was baptizing lots of kids. And he was, all this, this ministry was known throughout the state. And because uh, I was also involved in music, he approached me and asked if I would uh, join him in his ministry. And I would be the one that led the, led the music and he would preach. And so we, we did a little bit of this. And we got to know each other. He was a very dynamic speaker. People, you know, he's that kind of guy that people hung on every word. And a lot of people were, were coming to know Jesus. And they were being challenged by his life. And it all came to an end when it was brought out. Uh, I just don't know how he didn't think this would be brought out. But he had fallen in love. He was married. But he had fallen in love with one of the girls in his youth group. And in order to fix the situation, he decided that he would kill his wife. He was caught, and he was, uh, and, and he was dealt with. The, and, but when I look back on that, and I'm thinking about what's going on here, I can't help but think of how faithful the Lord was to his word in the life of a man who was rebellious and running from him. When I look at, the, at what the Lord was doing with his word, even with this guy, and I see that you can run. But in our running from the Lord, we can't run from his faithfulness. Now we may have to deal with the consequences of our running. And that's just what's going to happen to Jonah. He's going to have to deal with the consequences of running. We know, we see it in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days 
and three nights. We can count on the faithfulness of God. Do you want to know his faithfulness in your obedience? Or do you want to know his faithfulness in your disobedience? Hosea 2 verse 8 says this, For she does not know that it was I who gave her her grain, the new wine, the oil, and, the, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. This is an incredible story. You know, Hosea representing God and Gomer, his wife, representing Israel. We know that Gomer is a harlot and she continues to live this lifestyle even though she's married to, to Hosea. And she is very successful in this lifestyle. But we find that she comes to, find, she comes to realize that her success has not come from her. In the midst of her rebellion and her unfaithfulness, her success has come from the faithfulness of Hosea, her husband. And the Lord is using this to teach us a lesson, to teach Israel a lesson. And in your rebellion, in your harlotry, your blessing, your, your, your success is not from your doing. It is my faithfulness to you. And in the story here, everything is stripped away from her. And she realizes that all that she thought was her success was of the Lord. And, she, and, and it's stripped from her for the purpose of her returning. Then we go to the New Testament and we find this in Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The faithfulness of God Oh, we can count on it because of Jesus. God is not hiding. He's showing himself. But in looking at this picture, I think it's interesting to do so with this verse or with this saying. God's faithfulness in your life is not shown by him going your way, but him going his way. And I kind of see the fish coming at Jonah with the caption, Jonah, do you need a ride? You going my way? <laughs> and, you know, I, I appreciate this because I'm Jonah. <laughs> I appreciate the Lord reminding me that he's faithful. He's proven his faithfulness in Christ who indwells me, who never leaves, who never forsakes. Even though there are moments, sometimes extended moments, where I am so rebellious, going the opposite direction, but he never leaves. He never forsakes. And he never lessens the standard that he has for me. Instead, Scripture tells me that he has lived the very standard. And he has paid the price. And so by faith, I need to continue on. Okay, now, any thoughts? I always love that Jonah is through, by contrast, just a picture of Christ. Because as Christ said, I believe in, I forget which gospel, but he said, 
you know, as Jones in the fish for three days, so uh, three days and nights, so Son of Man will be in the ground for three days and nights. Mm -hmm. And so just the idea that Jonah was rebellion, what was rebellious, he was spiteful, he was bitter, and had his priorities all wrong. But just that Christ is that perfect contrast. You know, like so often we have a picture of Christ and David and um, and Joshua and all these Old Testament saints. But in, in uh, Jonah, you have it by contrast. And it's just such a, it's just a beautiful picture that Scripture is painted of it. Hmm. Thank you. Anybody else? I, uh, there's, there's a lot in here that I'm... A lot. There's a lot, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, just, I just go, you know, why did Jonah say, throw me overboard? Number one, why didn't he just jump? You know, um, but I just, there, there's so little to commend in Jonah when you really start looking at him. It, it's, and it really does just point to the fact that about God and about his faithfulness. Because I'm thinking about it, Jonah's a prophet. Hmm. He's a prophet. You know, he's supposed to be, he's hearing, he's hearing from God. He's supposed to be something special in Israel, you know, and he's a stinker. He absolutely is. But but we see throughout the Old Testament a lot of stinkers. Yeah. And we see in the New Testament a lot of stinkers. And we see the difference in stinkers is the Lord. And and so, you know, I mm. just, Jonah, Jonah just brings up lots of questions to me, you know, if, if it was, if it was turning, you know, was the only option for him to be thrown into the sea? Couldn't he just say, sorry, Lord, I'll go. And the sea would have been calm? I think so. Yeah. You know, um, so was he that desperate to get out of it that he's like, suicide is better? Mm. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I find it interesting because I think it's a complete misunderstanding of grace, right? Mm. He had a very selfish understanding yeah. of grace, and he was focused purely on Israel yeah. and restoring Israel. And I think, you know, we often make that mistake where we think, you know, God's grace is for us, but then we try and selfishly have that rather than being the witnesses that yeah. we're supposed to be and have grace live through us, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the way I see Jonah. And yeah, I think he was, I think he's at the same point in the boat as he was under the, you know, when the when the plant was taken away by God later. You know, he's a point, I don't care anymore. Just take me, throw yeah. me in, you know? Mm -hmm. Almost, I think, possibly is a passive aggressive way of, of, of putting blame on these guys in the boat, mm. you know? Um, well, there, there may be something to that because I know that, the, you, you know, as you read through the passage, remember that they're, uh, th when they pray to God, it's like, don't, please, don't put right. this on us. Right. Yeah. 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 And they recognize clearly the power of God, mm -hmm. that he's the one who's doing this, and he can end us if he chooses, right. chooses to, if he disagrees with what we're doing. And I, and I love the comment that you made about being the contrast, you know, the between Jenna and Christ, because I think that's very true. Yeah. It's, it's like a completely opposite understanding of grace and the way we are to be. Mm. And it is it is wonderful to see that faithfulness in foolishness, because I hadn't really thought about it until now. It's just mm. like, yes, you know, the Lord is doing this, therefore, turn the boat around. No, 
therefore, like, throw me into the ocean. And it's still, it's recognizing the position that he's in in relationship to God correctly, but then still not responding correctly. Mm. And it's not that having kids and, and seeing disobedience in kids, and there's so often there's this level of frustration where you're like, I just need you to listen. <laughs> but with this here, right, like the, the, the extreme to which Jonah clearly knows what is to be done, and is clearly not doing that. And at no point is the Lord like, that's it, we're done. You know? Like, sending the fish. And, and there's so much of this where God doesn't make it difficult. He makes it impossible. Right? Like, the, the, the idea of like, well, it was a special fish and it had extra oxygen in it. And I'm like, no, I think it's just a plain miracle. Like, in yeah. this case. There's a lot of providential stuff that the Lord does. But, like, you're going to be inside of this fish for three days. Like, that's, like, and therefore you probably should have died. And he sustains him in there. There's a consequence. But the Lord does the impossible while Jonah goes through the consequence of what he's asking. But it's, I think it's this incredible thing of where, like, mankind would say, like, well, and then this will happen, and that will be the end of you. And the Lord says... Yes, it will happen, but I will not allow it to be the end of you. Like, I disagree that this thing that kills you will kill you. And therefore it won't. Which is just an incredible, again, this, this explanation in, in this of what God can do. I think there's also a bigger connection in the overall plan of God and how he saves the world. You know, by going to the Gentiles in order to, you know, bring the Jews back. Yeah. That I think is part of this, too, that that is an excellent explanation of just God's grace that, that is beyond comprehension. Right. And you can make the argument that, like, well, yeah, they'll repent, but it won't stick. It's like, yeah. neither do you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. You're still not fired. You're still <laughs> it's like, I understand you're useless, but that's not why you're picked. Yeah. You're still going. Yeah, that's you right. Get to the boat. That's right. Like, well, <clears throat> they throw me into the ocean, then I'll have to die. Like, not if I don't feel like it. <laughs> yes? Um, I wonder if God saved Jonah because of the prayer of the sailors. Hmm. Saying, don't, don't put this stuff on hmm. us. And That's interesting. Obeying, you gave us his word through your prophet. We did what you said, but we don't want to be responsible for his death. And, hmm. and that, that simple faith, that, that where their word and their actions match. That's interesting. I think it's a wonderful picture of salvation. Jonah jumps into the water, and what's the punishment for our sin is death, right? Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sin. God could have just let Jonah drown. Could have. But God, in his mercy, saves Jonah, right? And that's mm -hmm. what he does to us. Mm -hmm. right? We deserve to drown, but God saves us. Mm -hmm. Which is the same picture as the ark, which is the same picture yeah. as Christ. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, let's pray. Ben, you want to lead us? Yeah. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that 